0: From the Times of London, this is The World in 10, a daily podcast bringing you global stories told with the analysis and expertise of our correspondents. I'm Stuart Willey.
1: And I'm Bhavani Vadi. Today, we're talking about why Boris Johnson was called a shopping trolley by his staff and the Japanese cheesemaker who's beaten the French at their own game.
0: begin in Gaza. As hostilities intensify, there are warnings about the plight of the millions of Palestinians trapped in the
2: territory.
1: Today, the World Health Organization is among those speaking out. Their spokesman is Christian Lindmayer.
2: Surgeries cannot happen without anesthesia. In fact, they do happen without anesthesia. It's an imminent public health catastrophe that looms with the mass displacement, the overcrowding, the damage to water and sanitation infrastructure. People in Gaza don't have enough. They're in a in a terrible situation right now, uh, under siege with nearly all supply lines cut off. We are in a position to supply this if we have the humanitarian access, if we have a, a humanitarian pause and can supply these things. On the Times app or website, you can hear from one of the
0: thousands of pregnant women in Gaza who says there's no safe place to give birth. Lubna fled south and is desperately worried. She needs a caesarean section in a place that lacks basic care. Her story at thetimes.co.uk
1: now. The UN Security Council has met to discuss the situation and heard from the head of the UN Agency for Palestinians. Philippe Lazzarini warned that a humanitarian ceasefire is a life and death situation for millions. As those calls for a pause continue from 120 countries, the Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu pushed back.
0: The Bible says that there is a time for peace and a time for war. This is a time for war. A war for our common future. Today we draw a line between the forces of civilization and the forces of barbarism. It is a time for everyone to decide where they stand. On a fourth night of major ground operations in the north of Gaza, Israel's military says it's been battling in a vast network of tunnels underground and that they killed dozens of Hamas fighters. There are unconfirmed reports that more than 20,000 Israeli troops have now entered the strip.
1: Mr Netanyahu also hailed the rescue of one of the hostages, an army private, Ori Megadish. She's the first to be rescued by Israel from Hamas and is now at home with her family.
0: Yes, joy and celebration was tempered, though, as hundreds of hostages remain. On the last World in 10, we talked about an upsetting video released by Hamas of three of them. The video had three women in it. The sister-in-law of one of them has spoken with Times Radio. She's Yael Nidam.
2: For me, seeing the video was another heartbreak in a long three week of pain. You know, seeing my sister-in-law in in that video confirmed my worst fears that she's held by a terror organization, that she's held at gunpoint. I also could tell from looking at her that she's not doing very well. She looks afraid. She's, you know, she's just like a 36-year-old afraid woman sitting in a tunnel underneath Gaza. She was kidnapped with her husband. Her husband was not in that video. She's probably worried, worried like crazy about what's going on with him. You know, I'm an optimistic person by nature. I always believe the best in people. And, you know, even in these dark times, I still believe that we can get to peace. I still believe that we can find an answer. And I believe that we are able to return the hostages. I really, truly believe that.
1: Boris Johnson? Oh, yes. Yep, our one-time Prime Minister. Well, his closest advisor during the height of the Covid crisis has given a scathing assessment of how his government dealt with the pandemic. Dominic Cummings is
0: the man. He was sacked in late 2020, but he'd been at the heart of Boris Johnson's government during those early stages of the pandemic. Giving evidence to a British inquiry into the handling of the pandemic, he accused senior figures in Downing Street of dealing with the coronavirus crisis extremely badly.
1: Yes, he was asked why he'd repeatedly used extremely strong language to criticise ministers and others in texts and WhatsApp messages at the time. And this was his response.
3: My appalling language is obviously my own, but uh, my judgment of a lot of senior people was widespread. Do you feel that you expressed your views too trenchantly? No, I would say, if anything, it understated the position.
1: He was also asked to explain why staff would describe Boris Johnson as the trolley.
3: You should trolley on it. Meaning? Well, I'm sort of using the sort of generic term that we often used about the PM. The term you used and his cabinet secretary used and his
0: director of communications used and other officials, no doubt about his propensity to... Pretty much everyone called him the trolley, yeah. His view is that there was an overall dysfunctional system in place during the pandemic. He also describes the department that supports the PM and the running of government as a dumpster fire. Here he is describing his views of the Cabinet Office.
3: Like all dysfunctional systems, it was a mix of a lot of the wrong people in the wrong job, uh, um, decades of accumulated power, no real scrutiny and insight, a culture of... Um, constantly classifying everything to uh, hide mistakes and um, hide scrutiny. Uh, management was bad, incredibly bloated with uh, so many senior figures that, that, that they themselves, as Helen McNamara's statement makes clear, the senior people themselves didn't
0: know who, who on earth was in charge of what. But what will this inquiry actually achieve? The Times science editor is Tom Whipple.
3: This is a very serious inquiry into a very serious thing, something that affected every one of us and affected lots of people through bereavements and lots of people through the effects on business, on life, on schools, everything. Will this move us closer to the situation where we are better able to cope with the next pandemic or crisis, which is surely the only reason we're doing this? I don't think anything today is
0: going to change anything in the future, but for political watchers enjoy the drama. For more on the background to this story there's a special edition of our sister podcast Stories of Our Times. Download it today wherever you find your podcasts.
1: We want to tell you about an unexpected winner in a new cheese-making competition. I'm talking about the first ever World Raclette Championships. Now, I absolutely love raclette, Mm -hmm. but just in case you're not familiar with the dish, it's basically made by melting cheese of the same name and pouring it over potatoes and charcuterie.
0: And it's pretty delicious. It's known as one of Switzerland's national dishes and it's eaten widely in France as well. It's a Japanese cheesemaker, though, who's stunned the raclette-making world by becoming the only non-Swiss medal winner in this competition, sending the French home
1: with the tail between their legs. Miti Yamaguchi won the silver medal. He left Japan in 2002, and his journey to becoming an incredible raclette-maker is pretty remarkable, as Adam Sage, the Times' correspondent in Paris, explains. explains
4: quite extraordinary performance yeah, by Miti Yamaguchi who indeed uh, he won a silver medal and he was the only non-Swiss candidate uh, to, to win a, any kind of medal at all uh, the French quite a few French cheese producers who went along and they came away empty handed uh, Miti Yamaguchi was born in Tokyo and he studied medieval literature there and then for some reason he started uh, working in farms in, in Japan but he didn't like it because it was too intensive the farming methods there um, and he and he's sitting there in front of the Tour de France bicycle race one day when it went past the Savoie, the Savoie region of the Alps, and he saw what a beautiful place it was, and he saw how beautiful the cows were, and he moved there. So I think he, when he moved, he only had a few words of French. I don't think he knew how to make a cheese at all, actually, when he came here. Um, I think
0: he learned it all, the language and the cheese making in the Alps. Judges said of Yamaguchi, he didn't know anything about the trade at all, but now he's entered the history of raclette.
1: Oh, I think we should head to the cheese shop that's uh, near the Times building. That's a very good call. 2034 is a long way off, but it looks like Saudi Arabia will host the FIFA World Cup. Campaigners have hit out, though, saying the world soccer body's commitment to human rights is a sham. Martin Ziegler is the Times' chief sports reporter.
3: I think most people saw it as a fait accompli anyway, but the only possible rival, Australia, formally confirmed today that they are not going to contest that bidding process. So there's going to be no opposition to Saudi Arabia. The deadline for expression of interest is today. <laughs> Some might say FIFA has stacked the cards in order to get this particular outcome and have
0: succeeded in doing so. And that's it from the World in 10 for today.
1: Much more from us tomorrow.